Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. trust your own judgment? Do you believe that you are capable of making a good decision based on your own senses and feelings and leadings? Do you believe that your heart or even your conscience will never lead you wrong? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you're like most people in our world today. Most people believe that they are generally good people with a fair amount of good judgment and common sense and a decent sense of moral direction. But if you answered like most people, I'm afraid that I have bad news for you. You have believed a lie. Two weeks ago, we started a new series called Do You Know Your Enemy? in which we're taking a look at Satan and the tools that he uses to come after people, including Christians. We're looking at some of his best tactics that have proven successful not only on our first parents, Adam and Eve, but also throughout countless generations in history. People have been led astray and misled by his lies. Last week we talked about a lie that Satan tells that is really at the center of everything that Satan says and does. It's a lie that's centric to his, his whole ideology, his whole strategy in the war against us. It's the lie that God cannot be trusted. And today we're going to look at a specific lie that stems from that one, and it's one that practically everyone in the world believes. And the lie is this. You can trust your own experiences Instincts, intuitions, leadings, feelings, and conscience, they will never lead you astray. Just listen to what your heart tells you, and everything will be all right. If it feels right to you, then it can't possibly be wrong. I was born this way, it feels natural, it can't be wrong. Have you heard any of those things before? I'm sure you have. Because those are the lies that make up 90% or more of what passes for good television nowadays. In practically every Disney movie produced in the last 40 years, those messages have been central themes. They have been Disney's gospel and brand, and people have been converted. They believe in the heart. They believe in following one's heart above all else. We see it in the popular music of our day right now with Rihanna singing songs like Right Now. Uh, And uh, it can't be wrong if it feels this right. Or in Lady Gaga's song, Born This Way, she sings, There's nothing wrong with loving who you are. And she said, Because he made you perfect, babe. So hold up your head, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. If I feel at peace about it, it must be right. We like to use that one in the church a lot. It feels more religious to say I have peace about it, right? I 
feel like I was born this way. This just comes naturally to me. So that must be what's right or correct. And it all boils down to, who can I really trust? And the lie is that Satan wants you to trust yourself instead of God. Now, don't misunderstand. A lot of people think that I'm saying you can never trust yourself and your own judgment, but that's not true. But saying you can always trust yourself is equally untrue. Listening to your own feelings and leadings and senses can actually get you pretty twisted up, especially when you listen to those instead of listening to the word of God. Last week we saw the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden uh, of Eden. And uh, we saw that, the, that our first parents bought the lie that Satan was telling um, because they believed that they could trust their own senses above what God had told them. They trusted their own judgment about what the serpent was saying. We saw in Genesis chapter 3, you can read the story later if you missed it last week, that Eve saw Satan take some of the fruit and eat it, saying that you will not surely die. And she trusted her own senses. She trusted what she saw with her own two eyes rather than what God told her. She trusted that what she saw when Satan didn't drop dead after eating the fruit was true. And that God had lied when he said, when you eat of it, you will surely die. But she didn't see the full picture. She didn't understand the spiritual reality of disobedience. She didn't understand that surely she would die. But she wouldn't just drop dead right that second. She misunderstood. She didn't understand the situation. And when she relied on herself and her own judgment, she caused so much suffering, as did Adam in following with her. And as do we all, we cause so much suffering by choosing to trust ourselves rather than trusting God. Satan likes to call into question the trustworthiness of God and then say, you can trust yourself though. You know what's right. You know what's true. You know what's best. It's all right here. Just trust right here. Things are not always what they seem. And unfortunately, as human beings, we tend to believe that they are a lot. We tend to believe what our senses tell us as absolute truth. Our young people, this past year at TCTC, they got to see that things aren't always what they seem, that there are illusions in this world, that there are people who are delusional, that there are things that look correct and look right, that they look real, but they aren't. They got to see a, an illusionist, one of my favorites, um, Harris III, great guy. Uh, I got to talk with him backstage at TCTC, um, and one of his favorite illusions, one of my favorites too, um, that I've gotten to see him perform once or twice before, but he didn't do it at TCTC this year, was a trick involving paper. So many people think, you know, illusions. They think big stuff like David Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear or a plane disappear and all these contraptions and different things that help him pull off the impossible. But all this trick involved with Harris was paper. In fact, a very specific kind of paper, toilet paper. 
We're actually going to watch a video. I uh, apologize for the audio beforehand. Uh, this is the best one that I could find um, visually um, and, uh, and, and uh, also for the audio. Um, so you'll still be able to tell what it is, but there will be some really loud moments with the crowd, so apologies. But watch and see what happens when he takes something so simple as paper and proceeds to deceive one person who thinks it's magic. Everybody else in the crowd knows exactly what's going on. Let's roll that tape. Can you trust your senses? No. Poor Joey was deceived in one of the simplest ways possible. There were no mirrors or smoke, no trap doors, no clever devices used. Harris simply used human nature to his advantage. He knew that we have been trained to listen to our senses and to trust our own judgment about the world around us. And here's the really funny thing. No one else in that auditorium was deceived except for Joey. Everyone knew exactly where the paper balls were going, over his head or on top of the roll of toilet paper that he was holding, but he did not. He trusted what he saw, and he thought that he saw the paper in one hand when it wasn't in either. Even though he was the only one directly involved with the magician, even though he was the one having the experience, Joey could not make a rational, right choice based upon his senses or feelings or leadings. He was deceived. So many people are so ready to trust their own experience that they miss the fact that our experiences can be deceptive. There's so many people going through life thinking, I can trust my own judgment above all things. So if it feels right to me, then it can't possibly be wrong. And it isn't just people in the world that are like this. It's people in the church. We can pick on the Rihannas and the Lady Gagas and all the others all day long who do the exact same things, but we believe the exact same lie. If it feels right, then it can't be wrong. We just tend to dress the lie up with religious jargon, and it makes us feel better. How many of you have ever heard someone in church say, I have a peace about it? Or, I prayed about it, and I feel at peace with it, or some form of that phrase. There's all kinds of other ones like that, but I find those are probably the most common, repeated ones in the church. And here's the problem with those statements. You can be at peace with something that is an absolute and total violation of the word of God. Let me give you an example. Paul, who was a wonderful Christian missionary and helped to establish and grow many of the early first century churches, including the one in Corinth, uh, he, uh, he wrote several letters that we have that, that deal with problems in the early church. And in his correspondence with the church in Corinth, um, he writes about a specific incident in the church that apparently everyone knew about, including church leadership. They were all aware of it. But apparently, they didn't do anything. There was an improper relationship taking place between a man and his father's wife. Now, most commentators say um, that this was uh, that this clearly shows that this is his stepmom and not his biological mother. Rather, whether it was his biological mom or not, in the ancient world, that type of relationship would have been considered incestuous, and under God's law, it was forbidden. 
But not only was it forbidden under God's law, here's the really funny part. Even the pagans forbid that type of practice. Interesting, isn't it? Even pagans recognize that ain't so good. Roman law forbade sexual relationships between a stepmother and a stepson, yet even yet these Christians were turning a blind eye to the blatant, unrepentant sin. Like, oh, we have peace about it. Well, we prayed about it. We, we feel like it's okay because we're free in Christ. We're free to do what we want. They can do what they'd like. We have peace about it. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says this. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Are you arrogant? And, and, excuse me, and you are arrogant? Ought you, rather, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says, no, don't trust your own senses and peace about this. You trust God's law about this. His law says no. Even the pagans' laws say no. God's clearly spoken. The people of the Corinthian church, they had swallowed the lie, hook, line, and sinker. They believed we can trust our own feelings and judgments about this. It can't be wrong when it feels right. But their feelings and their senses and their judgments were in direct conflict with the word, the will, and the way of God. Their feelings on the matter were sinful, but they didn't think so, and they chose to go with their gut over God. Don't ever go with your gut over God. In our world today, people make the choice, that choice all the time. This lie that Satan tells that you can trust yourself more than you can trust God and that if it feels right, it can't be wrong. It's what at, it is what is at the heart of so much sin in our world. And it's at the heart of the issue that is most prominent and preeminent in our day, it seems. The issue of homosexuality. So many people, even in the church today, believe that homosexuality is okay. Because it feels right to that person, so it can't be wrong. It doesn't make any sense that God would allow someone to be made a homosexual if homosexuality is really wrong. People trust their own judgments rather than God's word. They listen to their own senses, trusting themselves rather than trusting God. It's interesting. Even the science now shows that God's word is true. We have always known it's true. But here's a little something that came out of this last week. This is a 144-page article from the New Atlantis, a journal of technology and society. Scientific journal, not a Christian publication by any stretch of the imagination. This publication is on sexuality and gender, the findings from the biological, psychological, and social sciences, peer-reviewed by 200 people. All of them thought it was great. Dedication to the LGBT community, to homosexuals. Okay? Yet this paper says that your gender identity is not something innate. You are not born homosexual. You are not born homosexual. Science. 
Science says the word of God has been proved true yet again. Yet again. Time and time, we have seen God's word shown true when we dig deep enough into science. It just takes us a little while because we're not that bright sometimes. Wonderful report. Haven't finished it yet. Um, when I do, you're more than welcome to get it. You can also get it for free online in a PDF format to check out for yourselves. The whole point of it is that this whole idea that you can be born gay, that you can be born transgender, it's fallacious. It's not based in any way on science. Yet people say, I was born this way. It feels right. So it can't be wrong. Ain't wrong. You cannot trust your own judgment. Your own judgment will lead you astray. So many people think, I can trust my heart. My heart will never lead me astray. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Yet we like to trust it. So very interesting. People who follow the heart, they're like poor Joey sitting in that chair looking for the toilet paper in the hand as it's going over their heads and wondering, where did it go? And God's just saying, you're not seeing the big picture. You're being deceived. I know what's happening. I know what's going on behind the scenes. I know what goes on in the heart. I know what goes on in the head. I know what goes on in your soul. Don't trust your heart to tell you the truth. I will tell you the truth. People get caught up in issue because of feelings. It's unfortunate. Paul has more to say on this issue. Flip back a chapter uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's take a look at verses 3 and 4. This is what it says. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul says, my conscience may be clear. I don't think that I'm guilty of the accusations that have been brought against me, but I'm not ultimately, I'm not ultimately in control. I'm not ultimately the judge over myself. God is my judge. God will judge my thoughts, my words, and my deeds. I do not get to judge myself in the end. I do not trust my own judgment of myself. And it's so very funny because there's people living in our world today that express that same sentiment, not recognizing how dangerous it is. According to their own rule of law, they, they live and practice and do all kinds of things saying, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. Who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. And then they say this phrase, not really understanding what it means. They say, only God can judge me. Anybody ever heard that? Heard it all too often from people in my own generation who like to slap it on bumper stickers and tattoo it on themselves. Yet they don't seem to understand how scary that phrase is. God will judge you. There was a great meme that was created about that very phrase. Poor guy's uh, responding to someone who said that. Only God can judge me. And he's like, dude, you should be terrified. Yes. 
God can and does and will judge you. And he already has. His word of God sits in judgment on your actions. He's already told you what standards you are to live by, and you have already violated them. It's so very interesting because people say all the time, you're judging me, that's terrible, you're not to judge. That's not true. Jesus himself said, you are to judge rightly, not by man's standards, but by God's. And that's in the same passage where he says, do not judge. So which is it? Do we judge or not judge? We don't judge by human standards. We do judge by God's standards. That means if the Bible says don't do it, we proclaim don't do it. And if you did it, you're wrong. That's not being hateful. That's not being mean. That's being loving and kind. That Guess what? God's going to punish unrepentant sin. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. Repent and live. That's what God says. I want you to repent. I want all of us to repent. Because if you don't, there's no hope. If you won't, if you would rather choose to follow your own path and your own way, to listen to your own self, to trust that you know ultimately right from wrong, and that if it feels right, it can't be wrong, then you will suffer the judgment and the punishment for it. There's no hope if you want to rely on yourself. As for me, I'd rather trust God's perfect judgment. I don't trust myself. I'm easily deceived. I'm like Joey. I sit in that chair, and paper balls are going over my head left and right, and I'm just... I don't trust my own judgment. I remember I said earlier that saying we can never trust our own judgment at all in any situation, it's false. But saying we can always trust it as well is also false. How then should we live as Christians? How do we know we can trust our judgment in certain situations? How do we cultivate as Christians good judgment and right thinking in spite of the way that we may feel? We know what our head tells us because we've read the word of God, but our heart may conflict with that. So how do we deal with that? How do we live in that tension? How do we make those decisions? Even as a Christian, you'll have many times uh, these wrong leadings and feelings that they're not correct. They're not based on the word of God. They're not based on God's authority. When you, come up, when you become a believer, we do a great disservice to people sometimes by making them think that you're just now suddenly going to know right from wrong. And you're always going to choose to do right. and You're going to be this great person and life's going to be easy and simple as a Christian. No, it's not. It's very difficult. It's hard sometimes making a right choice because what happens up here when we know the word of God often conflicts with what's right here. Good judgment and correct processing of thoughts and emotions, it's not something that happens instantaneously. You don't hit the baptismal water and come up out of it like, Woo! I know all the right answers now! Wouldn't that be nice? Come up out of the water and man, I know all the answers! I know how to calculate pi all the way out! A little math humor, I know. I'm not good at jokes, and I'm not good at math. I don't know why I went that direction. <laughs> Again, not good judgment. <laughs> but we don't suddenly get magically this ability to make right choices in the, that water. 
No, we have to cultivate it. We have to grow it. We have to listen for the Holy Spirit. We have to read God's word. This is a process that takes time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, though, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we get this right judgment, this right thinking to fight against the wrong feeling we sometimes have? We have to have the mind of Christ. Well, I know that's spiritual jargon. What does that mean? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? How do we have the mind of Christ? How does one go about getting that? Number one, we look to God's word. And I know that seems cliche, but it's not. Jesus himself, God himself in the flesh, he quotes scripture over and over and over again. Go back and look at what Jesus says. If you don't have a red letter Bible, get yourself a red letter Bible so it's a little bit easier. Look at everything that's in red. All the things that Jesus said. And then look for the cross references. And you will find that about half of what Jesus says is Old Testament. Either direct quotation or paraphrase. Jesus quotes scripture. Isn't that interesting? That should tell us something about life. About how valuable scripture is. We need to look to God's word. And unfortunately, we overlook it all the time. As simple as it may seem. As cliche as it may seem. Look to God's word. I have to say it over and over again because we don't. Look to God's word. Many times our thoughts and our feelings, they're going to conflict with what God has already plainly said. And when it does, we have to make the choice of who you're going to follow. Your own self or God? Who has more perspective? Who has the ability to see past the illusion that's right before our face? It's not us. We're Joey. God's like the audience sitting out there watching. He knows what's happening. He sees the big picture. And now, understand what I mean when I'm talking about reading the word of God. I'm not talking about just doing a devotion for two minutes each day. I know we've gotten into that as, as the American church. You know, have a great relationship in two minutes or less a day with God. It's like, eh. It's like if you're counting two minutes, like watching your stopwatch, like, oh, did my God time for today. You might have the wrong perspective about how this relationship is supposed to work. Those are kind of sad, pitiful daily devotions. We need to study God's word, to pour into God's word. We need to intensely read through it, not just the Bible, but to look at the history of the Bible. The context that it's in. Because you're not going to get a lot of practical application without knowing the context. There is no way you can have the mind of Christ, who is God, if you are not in the word of God. Number two. We have to trust God's will. It's one thing to read God's word. There's lots of people who do not believe in Jesus, who do not trust God, who have read the Bible. I know several pagans who know the Bible better than I do. They've read it more times through than I have. But not because they love it, not because they trust God, 
because they want to show how little we know of the Bible as Christians. They want to put us in our place, so to speak. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to then trust that the one behind it is good and that he has a plan, that he has a will that is good. So often we believe the lie that Satan tells that if it feels right, it can't be wrong because the feelings of pleasure are so strong in whatever sin we're participating in. Let's all be really honest for a second. I know, honesty in church, how refreshing, right? Let's be honest. Sin can be very, very fun for a while. Can it not? Sin can be very, very fun for a while. But eventually the fun runs out. Eventually the piper has to be paid. Eventually the consequences come. And I'm not just talking eternal and judgment of God type stuff. I'm talking temporal consequences as well. The immediate consequences of our actions. You lie on your taxes. Feels good for a second. Stick it to the man. Get to keep some extra money. Yeah, the IRS is eventually going to find out. There are absolutely no records in government kept that are more complete than tax records, I promise you. It's one of the things that we actually study in history. When we look at a culture and want to know something about what was important to the people, go back and look at the tax records. <laughs> you want to know what they valued, go back and look at the taxes that were paid. Cheat on your wife, you can feel good for a minute, but eventually... She finds out, gets angry, divorce, all kinds of bad consequences follow, especially if you have kids. The turmoil that follows with your family. So many sins that we do, for a while they're so very enticing and fun and enjoyable, but eventually they hurt us so bad. And I know it sounds like heresy to say that in church, like, oh, you can't say sin's fun! It is for a minute. Because let's be honest, if sin was always bad right when you did it, if it hurt instantaneously right when you did it, if it was like putting your hand on a hot stove, nobody'd sin. You'd do it once and then be like, never doing that again. How many of us after touching the hot stove with our hand go back and like, huh, I think I should do that again. Let's do that every weekend. No! It's fun for a minute. But eventually, it hurts. The consequences happen. And the immediate consequences can be bad. They can be very painful. They can be absolutely miserable. But then the eternal consequences come, and those are far worse. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. All sin. Every single one. We like to pick on homosexuality a lot. All sin is punishable by death. Not just homosexuality, adultery. Not just adultery, lying, cheating, stealing. Even lying on your taxes, yes. All these things are sin. And they all make us worthy of hell. We all deserve to die. But here's 
the good news. God doesn't want us there. God doesn't want us there. Not a single one. Not a single one. God has himself done everything possible, everything possible to ensure that you don't go there. He has even thrown himself on the grenade of sin to protect us from it. I told you last week, anyone who goes to hell, any human being who goes to hell, does so over Jesus' dead body. Because that's what he did. He died to ensure that we would not go there. Sin might feel right for a moment. But eventually the consequences come. Just because it feels right doesn't make it so. Don't trust yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God. Trust his word. Trust his Holy Spirit. And over time you will develop better judgment. Not perfect, but better judgment. You will learn. You will grow. That's one of the awesome things that I believe as a Christian is that through Christ's power in our lives, through the Holy Spirit's influence, we are getting better. But you're not going to get any better if you just trust yourself. This morning, maybe you've been thinking about this for a while. Maybe you've been pondering. I wonder, who can I trust? Who should I trust? I know I can't trust myself. I've made some bad mistakes in the past. I think I'm ready to trust in God. Today, if you're ready to make that decision, we're going to have a time of invitation for you. If you are ready to trust Jesus, to follow him, to obey him, to let him be your guide for what is right and what is wrong, to let him be your standard for what is good and evil, for what is acceptable and unacceptable, then this is your moment. It doesn't matter what you've done. There is no sin that Jesus has not paid for. There is no sin greater than God's power to cover it. None. 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 Whatever your sin, if you are ready to be forgiven from it, to trust in Jesus, this is your moment. Come forward, find me, as we stand and as we sing. Thanks for joining us for the message today. If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.